Good morning, uh, Waken Church, and all those who are uh, viewing uh, us through your living room or on your device. We're so uh, happy to have you here. And uh, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors at Awaken, and uh, we're uh, jumping into uh, the fourth week of our series. And uh, the series is just called Growing Up. It's something that we all have to do. It's something that some of us don't like to do. But we're in week four, and we've titled this um, uh, sermon today, Testing the Limits. And I think we've all done that. We've all tested the limits. And so um, if you're just tuning in for the first time, or maybe uh, like me, sometimes you forget uh, what the sermon was on last week, even if you preached it. Um, the, uh, the topic that we're covering through is First John. And so we're going through just the book of First John. It's got five chapters. So we're in chapter four. But First John is a, a very uh, simple book, but sometimes simple is not easy. And also First John is a book about maturity. How do you go from a, a young child into the faith to a mature adult in the faith? And so this is what um, the, the series has been about. And one thing about um, uh, the series is there's some context behind it. You see, First John, it's written to the church, but it's also written because there's, there's people who've left the church, who've gone out from the church, and they're trying to get other people to come out with them based on their beliefs, based on their theology, based on what they want to do. And John is writing a letter, a brief, short, simple letter to say, don't go with those people. There's some people who are trying to go out and it's actually to your harm and your detriment. Um, as I look at the world right now, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, this week, we uh, have sent two men into space uh, for the first time. And also this week, we... Um, Instead of sending two men to the space and this incredible thing we've seen on the streets of one of our cities, one man placing his knee on another to the point where that man dies. So we see great progress and achievement on one hand, and then we see great brutality. What is going on in the world? There's these two different pictures. And then we see the response is that there's celebration for going into space again, but then there's also rioting and protests for seeing a man's life extinguished. And, and, and many protesters are doing so with justice, with truth, with integrity, but then there's some who are going out from them and they're looting and rioting. And the question is, what again is going on? In which way do we go? Um, about three years ago, I took eight college students to Selma, Alabama, we went on a civil rights pilgrimage. We went because we, we felt like we needed to understand black America. We needed to understand the narrative of the civil rights movement. We needed to sit with truth. You know, during the civil rights movement, there was two ways to go as well. MLK, he, he opted and talked about peaceful, nonviolent resistance with a specific goal in mind, black suffrage. And then there was Malcolm X, who, who he wanted black suffrage in mind as well, but he, he believed the, the, the means to attain it was through violence. And so there's these two pathways to go. What's interesting is on Sunday mornings, regardless of what pathway you went down, you were in church. 
And it took the black community and the white community joined together on Sunday mornings to see suffrage happen. And what's challenging about this and as beautiful as that that movement ended with, it ended with an amendment that allowed blacks the rights to vote, but it also ended with pain and tragedy and hurt and loss. What way do we go? When we're looking at the world, what do we do? And I, I shared the idea of, of, of just going on a civil rights pilgrimage because we needed to take the time to just sit and figure things out. In fact, the white community, the black community on Sunday mornings were joined together and they needed to sit and figure things out. And they did by being joined in the gospel. And so I believe the gospel and God's word has these answers that we're so desperately looking for. And John, when he's writing, he's writing to a community that's divided. Do they go and follow these people who are saying, do whatever you want, live however you want, or live in a contrast way, one that is peaceful and loving? We're at the same intersection in our society today. And I believe that one of the best things we need to do is just come back to God's word. And so that's what we're doing here. We'll be in 1 John. Please turn your, um, uh, turn your Bible um, to 1 John. But before we do, I'd love to pray because I'd love to invite Christ into this message. I'd love to write, invite Christ into our broken and hurting world. And I'd love for you guys just to pause right now in your living room and just sit and pray with me. Father, we live in a divided world, a world in anguish, a world that is hurting and broken a world where we as Christians sometimes don't know how to respond and we don't know what to do. And we even have made mistakes, God. And so Lord, I, I pray that, Lord, you would forgive us. God, that we would come and humble ourselves before you, before your mighty hand, before your word, God, and that you would teach us from your word. We desperately need an answer this morning on how we respond to what's going on in the world. Lord, would your spirit and your truth and your word fill us in this time. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's so hard to love. And 1 John talks about that. In fact, when we were brainstorming about series, we, we didn't know that all this was going to happen. But now it looks like God's providence, that we're talking about love right when it seems like the world needs it most. And this is one of the predominant themes in 1 John. Another one of those is, is visibility. You see, John is concerned because this church is young. They don't always know what to do. They haven't figured out all the answers. They're an ethnically mixed church. They're a socioeconomically mixed church. They're a generationally mixed church. And they're called to be one. And John's worried about them because if you're really going to have unity, it has to be visible. And this is one of those themes that we're just going to come into this morning. Is that there's something visible about the church that is meant to stop the world in its track. There's something visible of the church that's meant to be different. We're going to talk about visibility and love and why that is so important for the church. 
Um, before we jump into uh, our text for the morning, um, every week since we've started um, kind of the uh, the pandemic and streaming, um, we've also had a kind of little kids corner, and that's been really cool for us um, as uh, as a church, uh, a way to involve our children. And so, kids, I'm talking to you right now. Um, go ahead and get your crayons out, uh, your markers out, get, get those blank sheets of paper, and uh, I want you guys, I want you kids, and again. Adults are welcome um, to draw, to doodle, to join your children as well. I want you to draw a picture of love. Draw a picture of love. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm excited to see those here in a few minutes. Um, But take some time and sketch out, draw out a picture of love. Um, when you're done drawing it, uh, parents, please send that to awakenqna at gmail.com. So draw that picture of love and send it in, and we'll look at a few of those um, before we close out the service this morning. Uh, let's read from God's Word, starting in 1 John um, verse uh, 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um, we're going to stop, and, and pretty much that's how uh, this morning's going to go. We'll read a, a few verses, and then we'll unpack them, and then we'll pick up the text again and read a few verses. So that was John 1, uh, or sorry, John 4, 1 through 6. And in order to get the context of that, um, let's just read uh, the last verse of chapter 3, where we ended off last week, because John left us with a cliffhanger. And he says this, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So John tells us that there's this this spirit that God has given us. And and then in verse one of the very next chapter, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit. And I think this is so interesting because already we're talking about this idea of there's spirits out in the world, there's spiritual warfare. Um, But John doesn't make a big thing about that. Um, He's going to focus on what it looks like to test the spirits. And so that's a, a great question for us this morning. What does it look like to test the spirits? To not believe every spirit. Um, so a couple things. First, John kicks off this whole question about testing the spirits um, with a simple word, beloved. Beloved. Um, he's talking to, to, to children. He's talking to children that he loves. Uh, he's talking to a, the community, the church. And he reminds them before he even starts talking about spirits and spiritual warfare. See, sometimes we want to talk about all those things and, and we want to figure them out. And it's just a simple way to say, beloved. You know, before we talk about all these things, remember that you're loved. Remember that you're loved. 
Identity matters. And so John says, beloved. And then he says, kind of don't be gullible. And uh, as Christians, um, we, we've been gullible. The church has been gullible. And this is what John is concerned about. He doesn't want for children to be gullible. And this makes a lot of sense, right? We, we teach our children the same things. <laughs> Don't be gullible. Don't follow a stranger because they want to give you ice cream. This is natural that we teach our kids. Don't be gullible. Don't um, give in to peer pressure just because your friend wants you to do something. Don't be gullible. And this is John's warning to this community, to this church. Don't be gullible. There's two reasons why he says not to be gullible. The first is many false prophets have gone out from you. In other words, there, was, there were people with you in your community that they, they looked like a Christian. They, they maybe talked like a Christian for a while. They acted like a Christian. And then at some point they left. At some point, they went out. And this is hard because when we talk about false prophets, the Bible says a couple things about them. One, they, they look like sheep, but inwardly they're wolves and they devour and they hurt. You know, many people have given up on church because they say they've been hurt by the church. And, and oftentimes when they mean by that, it's not like they've been hurt by like the institution of the church, although that could be the case. They've been hurt by someone in the church who... who sh who they thought was a sheep, but might have been a wolf. So these wolves who look like sheep have hurt the community. They've actually left the community now. And then the second thing, it says that they're working on leading people astray. And the Bible actually said, this is what false prophets do. They actually lead people away from truth and into error. And John says, hey kids, don't go with the stranger because they're promising you ice cream. Spiritual ice cream does not come from people. It does not come from people's teachings. Be careful because this is how you know them. You know, these, these, these false prophets, they do two things. So we've, we've looked at um, what they do. They lead people astray and they look like sheep. But they also do two things. They leave community. They leave the church. They've gone out from the church. There's a, a lot of people that I run across as a pastor. Um, people who, who may have, have professed Christ or even who still profess Christ. But they've, they've left the church and they've opted in for their own spiritual brand of understanding the Bible. And the second thing is that they leave community, they've come out from the church, and then it says this, that they love the world. They do the things of the world, they have the view of the world, and the world loves them for that. In other words, there's no contrast between what the world does and what they do as professing Christians. And you see, this is a concern for John because John, right? We talked about this theme of visibility. John thinks there should be a clear contrast between the world and the church. In fact, in most cases, when John talks about the world, it's negative. And so John sees that there's this distinct contrast happening. 
So these false prophets, they leave community and they love the world. Don't follow them. Don't be gullible. They have nothing to offer you. They're going to claim to offer you spiritual ice cream, sugar, but they're not going to sit and have fellowship and a meal. They're not going to have substance with you. And then don't be gullible. The second reason John tells us is don't be gullible. Why? It's because you've already overcome the world. Christ in you, the, the true spirit, the right spirit, the one that is authentic and good, that spirit has overcome the world. He is in you. He is greater. So how do we test the spirit? This is the test. Um, the right spirit acknowledges Jesus Christ. I'll give, I'll give that to you one more time. The test for testing the spirits is the right spirit, the Holy Spirit, acknowledges Jesus Christ. Um, so there's a, a positive test and a negative test that John gives us in this. The positive test that he says is that it acknowledges Jesus in the flesh as coming from God. And the negative test is that the spirit does not acknowledge Jesus is from God. And so John's kind of speaking to two different um, audiences. One is, is the people who, um, the positive test is those people who acknowledge Jesus is from God. You see, there's many people who, who didn't believe that Jesus was from God. He was just a, a great human teacher, prophet, um, and, and he was kind of a, a moral example. Um, uh, and then there was people who um, simply said that, nope, not from God. Uh, didn't come in the flesh, but he's not even from God. Um, and for these people, it was this idea of, hey, you know, Jesus is just, again, a really cool guy to follow, but he, he's not divine. He's a great example. And this is the positive and negative test. So what's the big idea? When we talk about this, we have to say, well, what's the big idea? If this positive and negative test about determining the right spirit is acknowledging Jesus Christ is in the flesh, number one, and from God. We have to say this, that the Holy Spirit's primary role is to witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. Again, I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit's primary role is to witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. Yes, the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. Yes, the Holy Spirit is there to give us spiritual gifts. But that is not his primary role. His primary role is to point to Jesus Christ. There's a phenomenal passage in John 16, 7 through 15. As we turn there real quick, uh, I'm just going to read the last verse or two. But this passage in context reveals what the Holy Spirit's primary role is. And he says, He will glorify me, starting in verse 14, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, the Holy Spirit takes what is Christ, takes the witness of Jesus Christ and reveals it and declares it to us. And this is how we separate truth from falsehood when we're dealing with spiritual warfare, when we're dealing with spirits, when we're dealing with the world. What is from Jesus Christ? Um, 
You know, the Holy Spirit testifies to Jesus. The Holy Spirit does not testify to new revelation. In other words, the Holy Spirit testifies to the word of God. I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine, and uh, he pastors um, uh, a church that's kind of more on the charismatic, charismatic Pentecostal side of things. And we were just talking, and sometimes uh, he just shared with me he has, you know, members of his congregation that talk to him about dreams, and and you know, I had a, I had a thought, and it turned into reality that Trump was going to say this, or this was going to happen in the world, or that was going to happen. And he says, I don't know what to do sometimes because I feel like those things aren't from the Holy Spirit; they're just about someone's experience. I think that's true. Oftentimes, we can have great spiritual experiences, but are we trying to tell them so that we get the credit? Or are we trying to point to Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit is always pointing to Jesus Christ. So this is the idea of what it looks like to test the limits, is to know that the Holy Spirit is always about witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Um, we're going to do verses 7 through 10. Verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whatever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son in the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Um, there's a pretty big word there at the end, propitiation. We'll unpack it. Don't worry. Sometimes that happens. You're reading the Bible and you come across this big word and you're like, huh, I don't know what that means. Maybe it was important. Maybe it's not. Um, so we'll unpack it because it is very important. But we're uh, talking about testing the limits, and John comes back again with this word, beloved. Um, he actually uses the word six times in the book. And each time he comes back to it, he's trying to come back to this, this formational identity. Beloved, beloved. See, he's not willing to let this description of the people of God go away. I think one thing that's tough for us sometimes is the lens in which we view our own faith oftentimes slips and drifts. And John says, no, 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 no. You're beloved. You're beloved. And I think, again, we're, we're talking about so many people being lonely, so many people being disconnected in this pandemic, so many people being psychologically upset about what's going on. You need to hear this word, beloved. Beloved, you're beloved. John says it again and again and again. It means something. It's God speaking to your heart, reminding you that you're his kid. And that you might have made a mistake. And you might have messed up, but you're still loved. And I think you need to hear that. My wife and I tell our kids that all the time. That we love them. That we love them. We tell it to them multiple times a day. It's because we do. It's who they are. They're our kids and we love them. So then he talks about um, God is love. And this is um, a weird uh, statement. Um, only because I think a lot of times people will say, well, um, what is God like? Or who is God? And many people say God is love. 
Um, it, it's kind of this, hey, let's talk about God. God is love. And John right now is not, he's not trying to be philosophical here. He's not trying to um, lay out necessarily um, this idea of love unconnected with anything else. See, when John says God is love, he's talking about something very specific. And I think we need to know that because oftentimes we'll just say, oh, well, what, God, what is God like? Oh, God's love. Like that, that, that ends all the questions. And it's like, well, how do you, how, how, how is God love? If um, someone was asking my spouse what I was like and my wife, Stephanie, just said, oh, he, Andrew's love. He's, he's just, he's, he's love. You'd be like, oh, well, how, like, how is he love? Like what, like what makes him just love? Uh, I don't, I don't get it. And John makes sure that he gives two reasons and these two reasons um, we'll jump to, but the first thing that he does before jumping to those reasons is that it's God is love is not who God is, though that is true, but it is what he has done. God is love because of what he has done expressed historically in sending his one and only son. And some of your Bible translations might read his only begotten son, but it's more important to just stick with, with the direct translation and say his one and only son. Remember, Jesus is from God and one and only denotes like a unique, precious relationship. His one and only son. It's about a precious relationship. It's about love. And God sent him for two reasons. The first that, that is in this passage is that we might live through him. We might live through him. So this is a, a, a public affair. When John is saying we might live through him, he's making it public. We have life through Jesus. There's a covenant that is going on. Everybody can see this. The church has life through Jesus. It's true life. It's knowing him. But you know what? It's also connected to something else. It's not just that we have life in him. You see, the false teachers, they were all excited about having life in Jesus. They were like, yes, you know, Jesus is, is the, the divine. He's the logos. He's, he's part of God or he's a prophet. We have life in Jesus. And, and they would kind of stamp that truth on their foreheads, on their lips. We have life in Jesus. We have life in Jesus. And they wouldn't connect it to the second thing that John says. And John says, you see, we have life in Jesus because Jesus was sent. And this is that big word we talked about, propitiation. And in short, it means as a sacrifice and as an atonement for sin. You see, um, What's going on here is this is this this um, Greek word that's used. It's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used six times in the Old Testament Septuagint, and it means this 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 propitiation word, this big churchy Christianese word. It means this: Jesus atoned for your sins, which means he removed your guilt, but he also was a sacrifice, which means he took your place. And so any sin that you might have, you see Jesus took your place for that on the cross. 
And he also removed your guilt. Because you were under the wrath of God, but Jesus stepped in and took that away. See, you are guilty. You will be judged, but there's one person that made it right. That's what we talked about in John 16 earlier. We looked at what the Holy Spirit does. He points to the witness of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Starting in verse 11 again. um, We come across that word beloved. But let's read. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Um, again, <laughs> beloved, beloved, beloved. God did all this. He sent his one unique, only precious son. So we could have life through him. So he could sacrifice and atone for our sins. He did all of that. It says, is that we, so that we ought to love one another. Again, what are we talking about? Kind of big picture. We're talking about visibility of this Christian church, of this small young community. And John says, hey, the visibility that the outside world should see is you guys are just in love with one another. You guys love one another. And I, and I think this is important. And again, if you're taking notes, this is, this is um, something to, to key in. You see, John says, again, no one's seen God except for the Son. And here's the reality. The invisibility of God is seen in the visibility of the love of Christians. I'll say it again. The invisibility of God is seen in the visibility of the love of Christians or the church community or of what even John calls us, the beloved. Again, write it down. The invisibility of God is seen in the visibility of our love for one another. How do people see an invisible God? They see us loving one another. John then goes on to talk about um, uh, things that um, God's love completes in us. And, And when we hear that, we think, well, God's love is not made complete. Like, Wait, so God's love is incomplete? John again talks about things that in us, God's love completes. So we have to think about, well, is, is God's love unfinished then? Is it not enough? Do we complete God's love? And that's not how to view that phrase completeness. What it's saying is that there are things that God has for us to do as believers 
that show the complete work of his love. In other words, his love is complete and we are learning how to get there. It's again, almost like a, a child that's learning how to walk, that then's learning how to take care of themselves. It's learning how to, to dress and, and, and eat. Um, and then it's learning how to, to study and learn. And then they're learning how, again, to, to walk. And they're learning how to eventually pay their own bills. They're learning how to be complete and mature. There's four things that John says that, that we actually have to, to, to kind of learn how to walk in the completeness of God's love. The first of those is, is uh, our obedience to his word completes his love in us. That was in, uh, that was actually in 1 John 2. The second thing is right here. Our love for one another actually completes his vision of love. It completes what Christ died for. It says that we also know that because we've been given his spirit. And in 1 John 4, these verses right here, um, in, in, in 14 and in, in 15 and 16, that the spirit is, uh, is, is there to testify that the son is the savior of the whole world. And will help you acknowledge that Jesus is God. Again, this goes right back to what is the right spirit. The spirit is a witness to the historic Jesus. The spirit's not about witnessing to heavenly realms and visions. The spirit is about witnessing to the historic Jesus who laid down his life for us. So that we might know what love is and that we might lay down our lives for our friends. You know, I, I can't help but wonder when we look at the, the narrative and the story of, of George Floyd, there was multiple bystanders filming. And you see, we live in an age where it's easier to, to turn, to, to pick up our cell phone, to turn it on and record something that's happening. Instead of trying to step in and love. You know, God made sure that he was not merely content watching humanity in their sin. God turned the video off. He turned the camcorder off and he stepped in. And you see what God did if we were to look at the George Floyd narrative is God took the place of George Floyd and allowed George Floyd to go free and and Christ actually allowed himself to die in his place. And this is powerful and beautiful, but it's also tragic because that, that's not what happened to George Floyd. George Floyd lost his life. We're talking about testing the limits. And my hope right now is that, that we feel a little bit uncomfortable in our hearts right now. Because when, when God calls us to love one another... It's meant that we should somehow click off the camcorder, somehow put down the phone that's recording everything, and we actually stop becoming just a viewer and a commentator. I think we all have had enough of that on Facebook, and we actually become a participant in loving 
our brothers and sisters. Let's finish with these few verses. By this is love perfected with us that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in the world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and he hates his brother, he's a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So earlier we mentioned that John uses that phrase, complete four things. We looked at the first two. The second two are really important if we're to understand what love is. The third thing is in verse 17. That you see God's love is completed in us when we are confident in the day of judgment. That we're confident in the day of judgment that we're going to be found as Christ is. That we're going to be found clean, made whole, forgiven. Because we have life in him and because he has paid for our sins. God's love being completed in us makes us confident when he comes back. It doesn't make us scared. In fact, this is the, the fourth thing. In verse 18, that we don't have fear. That perfect love has cast out that fear. And if you're following along, you might be thinking, wait a second, I, we, aren't we supposed to fear God? I mean, I thought the Bible was like, you, you know, that kind of balance. You fear God and you love God, like they're tied hand in hand. I think, again, it's important that um, this, this word right here is not talking uh, about like a fear in terms of a reverence. Or a worship of God. Because the Bible talks about that often as an appropriate way to fear God. No, the word right there talks about um, punishment. That we don't need to fear a punishment. The word, the same word is used once in the New Testament. It's used in Matthew 25 verse 46. And it says this. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. And Jesus is talking about this scene when he comes back to, to judge the earth with his holy angels. And he comes back in, in, in power and glory and might. And, and he talks about the people who have not loved their brother or their sister. They've not loved a child. They've not helped give someone a cup of water. He says, they will go and face eternal punishment. That's the same word there. But those who have loved their brothers will go into eternal life. And so John closes this passage. He closes this passage with something very simple. He closes it with logic. Um, many say that the Bible's not logical. Well, well, John makes a really simple argument at the end. It's a, a very um, logical, philosophical argument. And he says this, he says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you actually don't love God. It's a logical argument. And then John reads it into a command. The very last verse is he actually goes back and he talks about all the times 
that Christ has commanded the disciples to love one another. You see, it's not just a logical argument. It's rooted into the command of Jesus Christ to love one another. And if we love one another, we know that God's spirit, the right spirit, the Holy Spirit lives in us. Um, so if you have um, any pictures, um, if your kids drew anything, send it in, awakenqna at gmail.com. We'd love to take a look at those in a few minutes. So now's your time, kids. Um, let your uh, parents take that picture and send it in. Uh, closing thought. We share the big idea that the Holy Spirit's primary role is to witness to the truth about Jesus Christ. The, and, and that the Holy Spirit is the right spirit. And what he's witnessing to about is two things. That Jesus Christ and the greatest truth of Jesus Christ was his love for God and his love for us. This is all about that big thing that we talked about visibility. God did not hide what he did in the corner of the world. Rather, God made visible his love for us in Christ Jesus, who came and died for us to remove the guilt of sin and to be the sacrifice of sin so that we might have life in him. And if we believe that Jesus came from the flesh and came from God and we confess that, then his spirit, the Holy Spirit who's witnessing us to us the whole time will come and abide in our hearts. And how we know that that spirit is really abiding in our hearts is that we go out and do the same for our brothers and sisters, that we love them just as Christ loved us. It's not just a philosophical argument. It's not a works-based righteousness. It's the very command of Jesus Christ. Love one another. This is all about visibility. I wanted to share a, a last story with you um, this week. Um, uh, my son Corbin, my five-year-old, um, he um, he was playing on the front porch, and, and I don't know what happened, um, but um, my wife's mug that has her coffee in it, um, he knocked it over and it fell um, to the porch and it, and it broke, it shattered. Um, so a couple things, um, you know, if you know my wife and me, we, we are somewhat addicted to coffee. We need coffee; it helps us love in the morning, especially our children. Um, and uh, this mug, though, it wasn't just any mug. It was a special mug. It was a mug that I got Stephanie for Mother's Day a few years ago. Um, kind of just basically that mom is the queen of the house. Um, and uh, again, it's just a special mug. We, we do that uh, from time to time. I'll give her just special coffee mugs. Um, she'll give me special coffee mugs because uh, we're addicted to coffee. Um, and we love one another. But Corbin, he, it, it was an accident. And he broke this mug and it shattered and you have that moment where he like, he looks up, you know, and he, he knows, he knows he's done something wrong. He, he knows it's an accident or he did, did it on purpose. Again, Corbin's our middle child. Sometimes he destroys things on purpose. Yeah. Um, and, and immediately um, he just ran. And my wife told me the story and, and she was like, I didn't know where he was going. I figured he was embarrassed or ashamed, but this is what, what touched her heart so deeply 
is that he came back like 30 seconds later and he came back with a broom. And, and he started to sweep up the coffee mug. You see, Corbin, in, in his five-year-old heart, he knew that, that something wrong had happened. Something was broken and he needed to make amends. He, need, he needed to try to sweep things up. And um, as many of you know, um, having a five-year-old sweep up broken ceramic probably isn't the best idea. My wife stepped in. She swept it up. But we were both just touched that, that Corbin understood that he needed to, to make things right, to, to love, to find a way to, to fix things, but that he couldn't really do it fully. And I think this is where we're at, is, is we might know that something's broken or wrong in the world. And there's a lot of people out there that says, hey, just go out and, and get a new mug. Don't worry about it. But love says, I'm going to get the broom and I'm going to try to make this right. And I'm going to, to spend time in relationship and love to fix this. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. And might I encourage you that that's what you need to do as well. I, I truly believe that, that one of the only spirits, in fact, the only spirit, the Holy Spirit, the right spirit, it is the only thing capable of making a grown adult apologize and ask for forgiveness, to say that they were wrong, and to seek unity and love. It's only the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage us to be men and women of the Holy Spirit who love one another and trust that Jesus Christ has repaired things with God the Father, that he's come in the flesh that he's come to atone for our sins, that he's come to love us, and that we confess that. And when we confess that, we enter into that beautiful adoption process where we're called beloved. Beloved, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you, Lord, um, for your love. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for um, the gospel. We thank you, God, that this message of love is one we need to hear over and over again. It's a message that we need to hear when we put men in space, and it's a message we need to hear when we see men murdered in our streets. The message of love needs to reach us, God, and I thank you that you showed us via example by sending your son to die for us. May we now go out and love one another because we have seen what love is. Thank you, God, for adopting us. Thank you for calling us beloved. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, church. Um, well, hey, let's take a look at a few pictures. I'm really excited um, to see what our kids have uh, drawn and doodled, maybe an adult picture in there as well. So uh, I know our uh, sound guys, tech guys are, are, are going to put them on the screen. So uh, let's see what we got. All right. This is from Gray. Um, man, one, two, three, five hearts. I like it. I'm down for hearts. Hearts are a great picture of love. That's great. Luke Bopp. Wow. A teddy bear with lots of hearts. Maybe it's a dog or a cat. I don't know. Um, but that's a great picture of love. I know um, so many people love their pets and um, even love their pets when they um, make messes in their house. Um, so great picture. 
running together with my friend. All right, Susie. Susie looks like she's starting a little cross-country team down in St. John's. So go, Susie. If you want to run with Susie, um, uh, get on that. She's running with her friend. That's awesome. Claire, that is amazing. There are hearts, but they're stars. Um, it's like kind of a Van Gogh starry night, but focusing on love. Awesome. Junie, love. I like this. I, I'm going to assume that that's JB and Alyssa, her parents, and they do have great love for one another. That is awesome. All right, Trip. Um, some kind of exchange or gift? Oh, candy. All right. A little sweet tooth. That's right, Trip. If someone gives you candy, that is an act of love. Um, careful, don't let them lead you astray with uh, any spiritual ice cream, though. Um, that's awesome, Trip. Helena, hugging. Yes, hugging is a great expression of love. Um, so, so are holy kisses. That is right. And I guess living, it looks like they're all living in one house in unity. And they're hugging and kissing. So yes, they're not arguing. They're not complaining. They're not whining. But they're just having a good time. That is great, Helena. All right, Clara, dad and me. All right, yes. That is a cool love between a father and his daughter. Um, yes, how fortunate are daughters that that they have um, fathers who love them. And I like Scott's beard. It looks like Scott's got the, the beard game going on strong. So good picture, Clara. Christopher, yes. I love the, the marker crayon, Jackson Pollock. Just love, like that is an, that is an abstract kind of um, interpretive painting right there. Um, great work there. Come on. Uh, Stephen, yes, love is a great cup of coffee. Um, that is right. Um, my wife made a, a cup of coffee for me the first couple of years of our marriage, like every morning on like clockwork. And then we had kids and now I make the coffee most of the time. Uh, Wyatt, choose love. You know, Wyatt, I think that is really good because sometimes our hearts don't want to choose love. Sometimes our hearts want to to choose being mean or angry or nasty, but I love how you really captured 1 John 4. It's, it's about choosing love just like Christ chose love for us. Wyatt, you're a, you're a budding theologian. God loves you and me. Amen, Jocelyn. You know, Jocelyn, that'll preach every Sunday. Um, that, is, that is amazing, and you're absolutely right. And I love your three, three crosses because, you know, um, one of the... One of the men on the cross um, believed in Jesus' love, and the other man on the cross um, didn't accept Jesus' love. But Jesus still died um, nevertheless. So that's a great picture, Jocelyn. All right. Um, th wow, this is like a comic book strip. This is amazing. Um, so Caitlin saying nice things. That's good. Um, saying, no, not just saying nice things, but saying nice things to me, uh, hugs, that's absolutely right, and helping me clean my room. I like it. So I think obviously 
Caitlin is talking about how much her mother loves us. Her mother loves her because I know um, her mother, Jackie, says nice, amazing things to her, hugs her, and helps her clean her room. Robbie, again, uh, I love this very um, uh, kind of uh, uh, abstract heart with some cubism, just kind of all thrown in there, kind of Guernica style. I like that, Robbie. Good work. Very Picasso-esque. Noah, yes, it looks like we've got a card there, some sunshine, um, and, and kind of giving a gift. Oh, maybe it's a, an apple. So feeding someone. That's right, Noah. Having uh, Giving food to someone is a great way to love them. Um, if you want to give food to me later, um, I will love you. Thank you. And I think that's it. Um, well, hey, church family, we um, just really appreciate you guys, really appreciate um, everything um, that, uh, that has happened in the last um, two months that we're still able to be a church, a community, a family. Kids, thank you so much. Uh, two or three quick announcements. Um, we will be streaming right now through June 7th, um, and uh, we'll let you know um, whether or not um, the 14th will, will be a Pioneer service or not. If you don't know what a Pioneer service is, um, Pioneer service is just kind of what we're calling our first service back. It's kind of like us trying to, to go back to space a little bit, you know. Um, we're not sure if we'll have to delay the launch a little bit, um, kind of like the SpaceX thing. We're not sure about that, but our Pioneer service is when we're hoping to, to come back. And, and we're hoping to come back not necessarily with everybody in the church building, but we're actually hoping to come back with our volunteers and, and a few of our um, home groups first. And then um, that would be week one. And then week two, trying to get our kids' ministry back up and running. And then finally week three will be um, everybody back. And, and we'll make sure to... Um, um, you know, have a video out and announcements out on what our precautions are and what that'll look like. Um, so you know exactly what's going on. Um, two, uh, two things. Um, uh, we have just, if you have a need um, or if you have a prayer request and you'd like a pastor to pray for you um, or you'd like the church to pray for you, please send it in to awakenchurchprayer at gmail.com. Um, and then online giving. Uh, church, you guys have been so phenomenal and faithful in this time, continuing to give. We really appreciate you. And we just ask that you continue to do that. Is uh, I know things are crazy, but as the Lord has blessed you, would you continue to give faithfully? Um, and uh, we're, we, uh, we're just so excited about, by that. Again, it's a, it's a physical act of love. Um, so thank you. You can give online, just awakenchurchjacks.org um, backslash giving. So thank you so much. Um, and then, uh, yeah, this is a really cool announcement. And and one that we will close um, our service with. On uh, June 13th at 9 a.m., Seamark Ranch, um, which is a boys and girls ranch, uh, and uh, it, it um, is opening up and having their first work day. So they actually haven't had work days for three months, but they're having their first work day on Saturday uh, from nine to noon. Um, if you've never been, then show up a little bit early to sign the volunteer paperwork. But a couple reasons why they're having the work day is number one, the work's all done outside. Um, it's on a ranch and a farm, and so uh, you're going to be socially distant from others while you work. And uh, it's a great opportunity to still serve. That They've got 
hundreds of chores that they've been delaying and they're trying to get things back up and running for the summer. And as a church, Seamark Ranch is, uh, we've been partnering with them for over two years now. We have several uh, families in our church that are house parents. Um, a lot of their boys and girls uh, come on Sunday mornings, go to our retreats, and we could not be more excited to love our brothers and sisters. And so if that's something that on Saturday, June 13th, um, that you're free and you want to get out and you want to serve and volunteer and, and uh, you want to just enjoy a great time, uh, things will be safe. We'll be socially distanced, uh, but we're really excited about coming back out there and helping. So again, that's June 13th from nine to noon. Uh, again, church family, we just love you. Thank you so much. Um, uh, my co-pastor Richard will be closing out next week in 1 John 5. Um, may you have a blessed week and may you love one another. Amen.